From body image pressures to social media likes, sometimes it can feel like the world is full of noise. And that's exactly why we've got to start talking out loud. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host today, Mercer, a health journalist and eating disorder survivor. I'm glad you're here. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the podcast that's all about helping you find your voice. I'm your host, Danae Mercer. Today, we have such an absolutely fascinating guest, and I'm so excited. Her name's Shahru Azadi. She's a behavioral change specialist and two-time book author who is here to talk to us about her approach on losing weight, on changing patterns, on things like fatophobia, on eating guidance, and all sorts of other really interesting and very delicate topics from the lens of a professional. So, Sharu, before, you know, let's let's just start by you introducing yourself and telling us a bit about, about your own journey with your body. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, I've always had a, a difficult relationship with my body, um, always trying to lose weight. I was a really seasoned dieter from a young age, taking like diet pills and always trying to make myself smaller starving myself, restricting, um, being really mean towards my body, making kindness towards myself conditional dependent on my weight and how I looked and then letting all other self-care be neglected and just not associating, um, not being able to control what I was eating and control my body with taking care of myself in any other ways. And so I was kind of this was something that I was really used to. My life was always on hold waiting for this like elusive day when I would look a certain way and then I could put myself out there and then I would be worthy of living a certain type of life. Um, and yeah, that was, that was my life for a really long time. That was just the normal. And I guess I always kind of assumed that that would be the case. And then I went to work in addiction services and I didn't expect that there was where I would learn so much about how I could take better care of myself and how I could shift my perspective around my body. And I went into counseling and learned a lot about what I'd internalized um, and how I was using food. I mean, that's a totally different thing, but I was really abusing food and abusing myself with food, which was another angle of it. And I realized that a lot, what was really missing, if there was one term um, that changed everything, it was self-compassion it just was transformative. And I was, I was seeing it be transformative in the lives of people who had these really ingrained addictions to drugs. Um, and then it started being transformative in, in my life because it became compelling. Cause at the beginning, you know, I was, I was hearing a lot of people say, be nice to yourself, self-care, self-compassion. And when you don't like yourself very much, that stuff, it's just worth, you don't see the value in it. But when you see that self-compassion gives you results, if you're trying to achieve a goal or make a change in your life, that being nicer to yourself actually gets stuff done, then it becomes compelling, even to the person who doesn't believe that they can like themselves. And that's and that's where my that's how things happened for me, really. You know what? I reckon that resonates with so many people listening because I I know for me, I struggled for years where people were like, "Yeah, love yourself. Just love yourself. It's easy." I'm like, "Well, no, it's not. This is incredibly hard. I don't." I don't really love anything about myself. So now you mentioned that you had an abusive relationship with food. Will you will you talk to me a little bit about that and what that looked like and what that meant? Yeah, I never learned to really enjoy food, see it as a joy and see it as a pleasure. I either felt guilty around it or I was binging on it to the point of discomfort. 
Um, and I gained a lot of insight into why I was binging on food and why it became such a crutch for me. And yeah, I, I guess when I say I was abusing myself with it, I was making my fe- myself feel bad with it physically and emotionally. And I couldn't tell you the irony of it was that I, I didn't like food. I hated food. It was the bane of my existence. So I was kind of using it to hurt myself, to hold myself back from doing stuff. Cause I had this idea that for as long as it, it wasn't as conscious as this, by the way, until I went into therapy, but I had this idea that for the, for as long as I was a certain size, like I could insulate myself from a lot of stuff and isolate myself because that's kind of what I deserved anyway. And food enabled me to do that in a lot of ways. And it also helped me to deal with stress and anxiety and boredom and all those sort of normal things that food can help with a lot of the time. But I, I took it to a place where I was um, feeling physically and mentally very unwell as, as a result of my relationship with food and my obsession with food all day. But of course, because I was overweight and my eating disorder manifested itself in that way um, for various reasons because of the nature of my behaviors and how much I was restricting and the nature of my body and the fact that I put on weight pretty much if I look at a, look at food <laughs> anyway as a as a side note, meant that society was really applauding me when I would lose weight, even though on a lot of occasions, um, when I was at my slimmest, I was undoubtedly at my most unhealthy. So that didn't help in terms of me trying to work out my relationship with food and what other people wanted it to be and what it should be and what it was ever going to be with me. And I couldn't have, I couldn't have told you with confidence a few years ago that I would have, that I'd be able to do what I've done now in terms of healing my relationship with it. That's so interesting and moving to hear you say I've I've had so many women message me with questions about binge eating disorder and and even bulimia and you know my eating disorder manifested itself in in anorexia and that that kind of side of of extreme and control and while all you know all issues with food are, are often about emotion and what's going on in our heads and our hearts and such, the way they express themselves is, is so variable. And I think, you know, it's, it's very powerful to hear you say that when you lost that weight, even though you were your sickest, you were being applauded. So how, how did you find a healthier balance? Talk us through your healing journey. I had a counseling session. There were a few little aha moments, but I guess the one that really sticks out and the one that resonates with people a lot in my books is that I went to counseling and I was in counseling because I'd I'd had a breakup that I didn't feel I was getting over quickly enough. And so I went to counseling and we were talking about my weight again, as I always wanted to talk about my weight. It was like the center of my universe and all my plans to eventually lose weight and then my life would be perfect. And my therapist said to me, well, what if you never lose weight? What if you're never slim? And the anger that came over me was just, it's really hard to describe how annoyed I was at her. And then I kind of, I decided I wasn't going to go back to her that that day. And then I kind of went for a walk after the session. And I thought, well, you know, it's a bit short-sighted of you as a person who works in, in psychology to not kind of understand why this particular thing has triggered you so much. And I realized that if someone told me that I was never going to be slim and that was taken away, what would I start doing? Would I just deprive myself of any joy for the rest of my life? No. 
You know, I would, I would start doing all the stuff that I intend to do when I am slim. And it turned out, I just did it as an experiment. I was like, okay, well, what if I put food and exercise to one side and I just thought of all the other things that I intend to do when I'm slim. I intend to date. I intend to ask for that promotion. I intend to wear bright colors. I intend to stand up for myself and be boundaried. I intend to eat more fruit. I intend to be drinking water all day. And I thought, oh my God, none of these things have anything to do with weight. Um... I intend to light those nice candles that I've been saving for this day when I'm a, the person who deserves the nice candles and buy myself flowers. And But, you know, person who looks like me doesn't doesn't do stuff like that. That's silly. So anyway, I just decided I would try it. And I just started doing all the things that I intended to do when I'd lost weight. And then I just, I started to lose weight more, more organically than ever before. And in my case, I think this is something that I want to make really clear because talking about weight loss, I'm... I'm just so sensitive about it myself, let alone talking about it on behalf of anyone else. My unwanted weight was a direct result of a way of eating that was making me feel horrible. If I was overweight, or my BMI, or whatever these other ridiculous ways that we measure ourselves, um, as a result of eating so much healthy food, (laughs) and I was exercising and taking care of myself, then I like to think that it wouldn't have been the same story. It may have been because of all the fat phobia that we internalize, But I like to think with the reading that I've done that I would be on a path to being okay anyway. But for me, not binging and not abusing myself with food, the byproduct of that happened to be weight loss, which I really liked, if I'm honest with you, because I wasn't fit. I wasn't taking care of myself. When I was overweight, I was was really neglecting my body in all sorts of other ways. I didn't need to, but that happened to be the way that I did it. So for me, it was about trying to separate and learning to separate all these associations that I had with the sort of thing that a person who was slim could do and was worthy of doing, or a person who was controlling themselves was worthy of doing. And I just started realizing that I was allowed to enjoy my life. And when I enjoyed my life and when I backed myself and championed myself and did the things that made me feel good, it was easier to do difficult things like adopt healthier eating habits Um, because the other thing is I didn't even have a way of eating. You know, we talk about diets and stuff. My book's called The Last Diet, but diet is a way of eating. And a lot of us who've been on weight loss diets since a really young age, we never even learned how to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Or listen to those internal hunger cues. And I, I think that's something that so many women struggle with is we're told not to trust what our bodies are saying. And so we try to control it. We try to restrict like, in my case, it was to, you know, ignore those hunger cues entirely and, and go in a really healthy direction. But I also love hearing you say that when you stopped obsessing over the food and over your weight, your body kind of navigated itself to where it was a bit more balanced for you. And, you know, that for me, that that was putting on weight, that was putting on quite a bit of weight. And that was just, but it was this beautiful journey where I felt so much better and healthier and more balanced. And, and I love, I love hearing you say that you found more of your own balance, you know, and, and the fact that also you're not saying like a bigger body is necessarily unhealthy or healthy. It's, you know, health looks and feels different on every woman. And now this, this does bring me to your book. So your book, The Last Diet is a very, I'd say it's like a very unique, kind of health focused book. Will you talk to us a little bit about that and what's in it, what isn't in it, and and just what readers could find there? 
Absolutely. Um, Last Diet is a book about how I have experienced gaining and losing enormous amounts of weight and found my own way of eating and a way of taking care of myself. And it has like the criteria for it to work, if you will, is that you need to learn to like yourself regardless of your weight and regardless of how you look. Because I think that changing our eating habits or changing our exercise habits or whatever, it's hard. And when we feel good and we feel worthy and capable, it's easier to do hard things. So my focus is very much on that. Um, The other thing is I really feel like there was a huge gap for us very, very seasoned dieters, us who have acknowledged our eating disorders, whether that's to other people or not. Um, us who share things in common, regardless of how our eating disorders have manifested themselves, much like you, you and me. I felt like there was a space that was needed before we all got on board with the intuitive eating thing. Intuitive eating is great. But for that, it's about connecting to your body, understanding when you're full, etc. And I love it. And I do it now. But if there's a value for you in being full, and you haven't explored that, if it grounds you, if food has been your best friend and confidant, and, you know, if if you have a really complex relationship with this stuff, I feel like there's a lot of unlearning to do. All that catastrophizing and beating yourself up and conflicting nutritional information that we've been given um, and these embarking on unrealistic plans and activation stages and all of this stuff. And so the last diet is basically saying, if you want to lose weight, you're allowed to. Just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons and make sure that the way you you lose weight is the way that you intend to keep off weight. Um, Because a lot of the time we think that when I've achieved a goal, having achieved the goal will be enough to keep me changed. But actually, we just normalize it really quickly. Whereas the last diet is saying, let's pretend you were born today and you'd never been on a diet. No one ever told you you needed to be, be bigger or smaller and you need to train yourself to eat in a certain way. And that's, that will be your diet, a relatively predictable way. Not like me, where I was either eating donuts or celery, you know? And I realized a lot of people were in the same position. And we read all these books on intuitive eating and mindful eating, and they're amazing, and they're so well-informed and well-researched. But it's like, this stuff is ingrained. And this is going to be a struggle for me. And there's a huge portion of unlearning and tears and difficulty. And I felt like somebody needed to say that. Because so many people were ashamed to even want to lose weight now and if you're like me and you know in in your heart that the reason that you're overweight or the reason you want to change your habits is because of the cruelty that you're showing yourself not because you love food quite the opposite then it felt kind of unfair like there wasn't a place I could go to and feel like a like a good feminist I couldn't feel like a like I was helping people without helping them to understand that this is this is a solution for people who are sick of diets but who still want to manage their weight Mm. And I think, I think you handle it very delicately because it is such a complex and sensitive and nuanced topic. But that, that's being women in today's world is it's not black or white. It's not right or wrong. It is, you know, how do we show our most vulnerable truths and be who we are and kind of stand in our voice and help and cause no harm and all these very complex things. So what would you say to someone who, you know, does struggle with, maybe binging or with using food in a really kind of harmful way like what advice would you give them to to start on their own healing journey I think understanding why it's the case a lot of the time the habits that that we think are problems now they were solutions at one point 
And I think we do ourselves and the habit in a way a disservice by saying, this is bad, I'm just going to stop doing it. It's not bad. It's, it's probably enabled you to get through something. It's probably enabled you to ha- helps you deal with something at one point when you've, when you've needed something. So I think rather than just saying, this is bad, I'm going to cut this behavior out. It's about thanking the behavior, acknowledging the behavior, um, and, and acknowledging that you're, you're simply feeling like you want to be empowered to change things up. So that in the first instance, for sure. And I think also a lot of the time, just one choice at a time in the direction of treating yourself the way that you would want the person you love in the most, the most to treat themselves. Because, you know, plans are great, but plans don't go to plan. You can never preempt how many things are going to come out of the blue. And I think that one thing to keep in mind when it comes to making a kind decision for your body, whether it's in the context of binge eating or whatever else, is asking yourself, what would I want the person I love most in the world to do right now? Um, if, if they were faced with the choices that I'm faced with. And very often I think the wisdom is just there. And then we need to ask ourselves, and why is there often a gulf between the way we think other people should treat themselves and the way that we treat ourselves? And I think continuing to ask that question can be very powerful and can close that gap over time. I'm, I'm over here nodding because all that resonates with me so strongly. And I love, I love the idea of, of acknowledging the disorders that maybe were coping strategies at a previous point like I, I had a therapist once tell me, you know, we can't, like in my case, don't sit there and hate the, the eating disorder. Don't hate the person you were when you were sick with the eating disorder because it was, it was like, a, like a raft, you know, like you were on these waves and they were crashing and you didn't know what else to grab onto. So you grabbed onto this thing and for a little bit it kept, kept you afloat. And then, of course, it's a, it's a really dangerous and very difficult raft I, I wouldn't recommend it but it it served its purpose mm-hmm. and so to hear you say that I think is is very powerful thank you I think it does I think we don't we adopt habits for a reason changing them is hard and although yeah we adopt them for a reason there's we're not bad and our habits are not bad we just need to understand with compassionate curiosity and remember like our bodies are going to put up a fight when we change our habits, even if we've done all the work and all the counseling and we know where it came from and everything else. You know, I often describe it like, like the body is a child that's used to getting something and you're switching up the status quo. It's, it's going to put up a fight until it gets the message, you know? So <laughs> that's also the thing you need to consistently show it. We're doing it this way now, but if you were dealing with a child and use that example, you wouldn't tell it off. You wouldn't be like, why the hell do you want that lollipop? It's not like you've had it the last hundred days in a row, you know? You would be like, I totally get why you're upset, but I'm not going to let you do what you need to do. I'm, I'm going to do what's in both of our best interests right now. And that's kind of the conversation I've been trying to have with, with my body when it puts up a fight. Because obviously the body's going, hey, I've been used to one thing for all this time. And you're like, well, no, it's, it's bad for you now. You shouldn't have done it in the first place. That is not a dialogue that I think helps get gets helps to get things done. Whereas if you're kind of having that more compassionate, curious, I know body, this was always going to be difficult. Come on, but we have got this and you know that this is best for us. Body doesn't make it so hard for you then, I find anyway. (laughs) No, that's, I think that's beautiful. I love that. I, I am a big fan of trying to have that really kind internal dialogue because you're right. It is, we are brutal to ourselves. We tear ourselves apart. So if we can change that narrative just a little bit, it, it helps, I think. It helps with our food, with our body image. And now, so much of this podcast is about finding your own voice. And I do think that's something women who struggle with our, our bodies, we, we tend to struggle with more. We tend to struggle with standing in our truth, speaking out, you know, being who we really are. 
is that a journey you've gone through? And do you have any advice around that? Oh, yes, I have. Oh, my goodness. First of all, I've had a stammer my entire life. So speaking up, if I'm in a group now and somebody asks me my name out of the blue, I will stammer and it will look like I'm having a kind of tick. And I find it really hard to, there are certain things that I still find it hard to do without breathing exercises and stuff. So that was, that was a whole other thing. And I kind of stammered my entire life. Um, And yeah, I mean, I was really, I had real, I had problems being authentic. I had problems being vulnerable. I was controlling, really trying to control people and my environment. I would be dishonest, dishonest towards myself, with with myself, dishonest with other people, disconnected, disingenuous. I mean, and the thing is, the interesting thing is, I always thought that it would be fixing and addressing those things that made me really like myself. And I did. I've I've done all these amazing things, and I, I wouldn't define myself in those ways anymore. But actually, it was stepping into that and being like, you're not all good, actually, you know? And there are bits of you that aren't as lovable as others, but that doesn't mean you, you don't you don't nurture them, you don't love them. That doesn't mean you have to deny them. They've also formed for a reason. And so all that kind of darker side work, the shadow work stuff has helped me a lot more recently in terms of really feeling like this is who I am. It's okay. On a bad day, I'm lovable too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that for me was huge. That was so huge. If you if you ever told me that it, it would it, it would get to a point where I stopped fixing and just thought, you know what? Even if I, this is yes, there are parts of me that aren't that aren't great, and I will continue to work on them. But there will never come this day where I'm any more or less worthy of taking care of myself than I am today. And after that, you know, and also, you know, I was terrified of social media. I've only been on social media for a couple of years, and something interesting has been happening. And the more myself I am, I mean, you know this, obviously, but the more myself I am and the more honest I am about the things I struggle with too, um, the more I connect with people. And so I think more and more people are realizing this word authenticity that we throw around. Um, it's, it's very powerful, but you have to get cool with yourself first. And that was really hard for me. And every time I thought I'd done it, I hadn't quite done it. And now I've realized, I think I've finally arrived. Plus my age helps, you know? Yeah, I, I love being in my 30s. And I, I do think social media, it's one of the most beautiful parts about it is there is a community for everyone. You just have to be brave enough to kind of pull back the layers and say, hey, hey, this is me. This is me. And that's, it's scary as heck. But the rewards can be really immense. Absolutely. And I think when you know who you are, then when somebody says something to you, good or bad, you know whether you agree with it, as opposed to being the sponge for anything. And I think that's where I had to establish myself first personally. I could be like, yeah, if somebody says this about you, that's probably not too off key. Like they might be delivering it in a pretty crappy way. (laughs) But that sounds about right. And if somebody says this about you, then that sounds completely wrong. You don't need to listen to that at all, you know? So I think I had to identify those those kinds of things with the people who I trust and stuff. And then you can go out and be brave and kind of think, these are my people and everyone else can go find other people. Well, gosh, I, I feel like I could just, we haven't even scraped the surface. You have such a powerful and interesting story and, I, and I'd love to keep going on, but I'm aware of your time. So why don't you go ahead and tell the audience where they can find you, where they can find out more about you? Sure. I am shirirazadi.com. Um, pretty easy to find on the internet with a name like that. Uh, the books are on Amazon and all the normal places you can buy books. And I, I'm i on Instagram and Twitter. Again, my name is 
so easy to find it. <laughs> I understand. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have the same thing. It's like I always make these lists, and I feel like I'm just writing my own name out twelve times in a row with different ads and things. But yeah, I'm in the Google. You're in the Google. Okay, great. And what would be your favorite inspiring quote? Ooh, my favorite. Oh, I love. I wish I could answer these questions all day. Um. Oh, give me a second. Give me a second. Well, I know this is bad, but I'm looking at it <laughs> in the background. I can see Frasier. And there's a Frasier quote that I really love, which is, if less is more, then imagine how much more more would be. <laughs> but <laughs> that's not the one I'm going to use. Actually, do you know what? Brené Brown, recently I've been reading Brené Brown again, and obviously she's just amazing. And, you know, I was watching her video recently of where she was talking about um, – if you're not in the if you're not in the ring getting your ass kicked now and then, then your feedback is not important to me. And that has helped me enormously, I have to say. Gosh, I love I love Brene Brown. She is uh, just the most incredible Brene. woman. So, yeah. And another thing, actually, I heard uh, Marisa Peer, um, who I'm a big fan of. Also, Marisa Peer said I watched a video that she did the other night on codependency, and she said that people don't treat you the way that you treat them, they treat you the way you treat yourself. Oh, that's a deep one. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every now and then I'll be like, oh, and behold, the sound of my mind being blown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, guys, on, on that note, we got to wrap this up. But Sharia, thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to Talking Out Loud. There will be another episode up next week. Please remember to click subscribe and we'll speak to you soon. Bye.